Welcome to Cartoonist Kayfabe. My name is Ed Piscor. I'm Jim Rugg. And I'm Brian Lee O'Malley. And uh, Brian, long time coming to have you on the channel to talk. We started doing this thing where we're unpacking comics with our friends. And uh, when you hit me up about that shoot interview, I'm like, let's unpack some comics. Let's look at some stuff. Uh, Brian, it could be stuff like the Phalanx Covenant. And you were like, oh, yeah, Joe, <laughs> Joe Madarera. And we were debating back and forth which era Joe Mad. You were going like, you know, 360, 345, something like that. We settled on 316. So what is this? I don't know. Is it his first? I think his first may have been 312 or something. But this is one of the earliest Joe Mads for sure um, that I remember. Yeah, absolutely, man. Like the Phalanx Covenant, that was a big deal. Like uh, this this comic, it, it's sort of, it's bringing in the new generation, you know. Like it's been a while. We haven't had a new mutants for some time. But mm -hmm. uh that served them Marvel well to have, like, you know, some young characters. It makes sense. You know, some, a testing ground, a triple-A baseball. Jubilee needed friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think this is the year I was going into high school, so this kind of just made a lot of sense to me, and I just accepted the reality that there would be a new class of X-Men when I go into high school. Yeah, man. And speaking of new, this is, um, like, early in Joe Mad's tenure on Uncanny X-Men. I did not realize that he, he stretches to 360. I was out on X-Men at this point. But replacing J.R.J.R., would that have been the, the previous kind of guy who was on this book? It is, yeah. And this is this is an interesting comic to look at. And, of course, man, we're going to be looking at this thing for more, uh, for, for art's sake, than, than uh, you know, the, the narrative qualities involved. Cartoonist Kayfabe is subsidized by the comic books that we make. Jim Rugg and I are Eisner Award-winning cartoonists who, when we're not doing our YouTube stuff, busy at the drawing table, working on our latest comics. Hulk 316 says that's the date that you pick up Jim Rugg's Hulk Grand Design Monster in March and Madness in April. 40 pages of comics uh, in each of those two issues a high-octane distillation of 40 years worth of Incredible Hulk lore. Probably, what, four or five hundred issues worth of material, Jimmy? Five hundred issues. <laughs> and I've been going through them all week, making final uh, edits for I, that first issue. I'm thinking we're going to have more Hulk videos on uh, the Cartoonist Kayfabe channel, but look at these incredible covers. You're not going to miss them on the racks. Uh, first issues coming buttressed with a heap of variant covers. Uh, first off, we'll take a look at the Eddie P variant by way of Todd McFarlane and the Herb Trippy John Romita design of that OG. When are we going to bring back the whiskers, Wolverine, man? Also the button nose. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes, very important. And the cute little beep. Marcos Martin does a variant cover of a great Hulk transition sequence. Men love the line work on that middle curvy piece. And the Peach Momoko uh, variant cover, the cottage industry unto herself has provided a She-Hulk, Incredible Hulk variant, man, where she is holding up that little Volkswagen <laughs> like it ain't nothing, man. What else you got to say about it, Jimmy? Anything? That's about it, man. I'm sending my final edits to for print to Marvel tomorrow. So whenever you see this video, they've already gone out. And uh, you, know, you know the drill, Ed, that last week before you actually send this off to the printer, it is everything. Every idea that you hope to get in there, every note that I had for myself, like I am working around the clock here. I'm in the last uh, 48 hours of this. I don't want to call it a grind. It's more of like the the, the, the kick at the end of the race to get this thing to be the, uh, the, the extra 10% you put in at the end that we hear the great cartoonists talk about. That's what I'm aiming for right now. So it's all excitement on my end for it. And 316, 
all I need is Stone Cold to retweet it now, and <laughs> I feel like this journey is complete. I am not impressed by the way that Marvel uh, promotes anything, man, let alone uh, the King Kayfaber's Hulk grand design. So it's up to the Kayfabe audience, man, to show up in a big way and make this thing an incredible success. Red Room, the antisocial network, Murder on the Dark Web for Fun and Profit is my comic that I've been putting my energies to lately. The first trade paperback, uh, the antisocial network, is in stores uh, today. If you didn't get that first uh, four-issue miniseries or you want to get your hands on some extras in the meantime before my next round comes out, you got to get the trade paperback because there's about 70 pages of extra material, behind-the-scenes commentary, uh, and a, a, a complete kind of quick and dirty comic that has uh, been drawn as a kind of a first draft of what Red Room might have been. Uh, in stores now, going quick, get your hands on it ASAP. And coming actually uh, March 9th, man, a week before your uh, Hulk Grand Design comic is uh, Trigger Warnings. Issue 1 is going to be coming out. Same deal as the previous round of Red Room comics. Every issue is completely self-contained. Uh, you're going to get a complete story in each issue. This first issue is going to be the Rat Queen story that I have up there on Patreon right now. If you want to hit, hit that up, uh, another round of uh, variant covers for this as well. Here's the Eddie P variant going for like a kind of a, 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 a book cover vibe with that piece. Peach Momoko does her variant cover and the great Jim Rugg provides his retail incentive variant cover by way of Robert Crumb's Zap Comics Zero. Jimmy and I have link trees in the description below this video where you can get to all of our links including our Patreons, where Jim is putting up uh, some pretty compelling behind-the-scenes material on his Patreon, and I'm serializing the Red Room comics before they hit paper. Hit those links uh, below, and uh, now that we're done paying our bills, back to the video. But this is an interesting issue uh, to choose, Brian, because the inkers involved, you have Terry Austin and you have Dan Green, like the tried-and-true X-Men inkers over a course of, you know, 15, 20, 20 years at the at at the stage that this comic was constructed so we're yeah. we're we're, we're, uh, we're in with the new out with the old in a way man and it's funny seeing how you don't know who the division of labor like this looks more dan greenish i, I just looking at eyeballing it seeing thicker lines like terry yeah, austin yeah. to me is, is thin stuff but uh Joe Mad bring in this kind of big eye motif also another fan of manga anime the snk neo geo fighting games and seeing how those old school American inkers are like trying to understand these big eyes that, that he's, he's drawn on his characters there. Yeah, this, um, this is before I got into manga. So this, this was like, uh, this is 94, I think, right? Uh, um, it says September 94 in the box. I don't know how, how accurate that is, but sometime in 94, maybe this is over the summer. Yeah, sure. Um, this was a big crossover, I remember. I was kind of out. I think I was out of comics for a while. Because after uh, Chris Claremont left X-Men, I just I, I think I read about 10 issues of the Jim Lee and, and with Scott Lobdell, and I just wasn't into it. And then, and then the art started getting really bad. The image era kind of really took hold. And then this is like maybe two years later. Uh, and I kind of like peeked back in because maybe I saw this cover... This drawing on the cover of uh, of this character M or Monet, I can't remember what her name is. Both. Um, yeah, that was that was like very appealing to me. And this is you know, like I said before, I got into manga, but I was like, I was like thirteen, fourteen, and um, starting to learn about girls and also you know video games and, and all this stuff. And it's just like the aesthetic just really jumped out of me. Actually, I hadn't even opened this up and seen the full spread 
the back cover is great. Yeah, yeah, it's the, great. The, and part, the part of the front sucks compared to the back. <laughs> it has a lot of the Joe Mad-isms that he really brought to uh, to the game, man. You could point things out like these these uh, like wonky mouth uh, expressions. Yeah. That's the kind of stuff that guys like Roger Cruz and, you know, uh, Mike Waringo and like those guys will start to adopt. The one big eye, one smaller eye thing, we were all drawing that after we, oh, yeah. we saw Joe Mad do, do that in these comics. And you see a lot of it, like the the, the mm -hmm, small eye, mm -hmm. big eye thing. It's weird what people innovate, Jimmy. But this is definitely <laughs> one of those things that I completely remember from from his comics. Because uh, to be honest, even towards the end of Chris Claremont, uh, it was the art that was floating my interest in the comics. Yeah. In a in a lot of ways, man. I was I was still fully on board. Um, you know, Jim Lee, like stuff gets Byzantine. Like I defy you to understand that stuff. So <laughs> so the art was floating when JRJR comes back, it um introduces the phalanx in like three hundred. I'm floating for a while, you know. I, like my run is up to about three three fifty is is where I'm like, you know what, I'm fully done now. And Joe Mad, Chris Bacciolo is how I read it, it all these years in, in my mind, so I'm going to call him that, unfortunately, if that's uh, the incorrect spelling or pronunciation. He, he, he can call in and correct us. Yeah, 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 that's it, man. But, I mean, those guys are like a wave three of image creators with the cliffhanger imprint. Very true. I was going to compliment the editor who decided, you know, we're, we're starting with these new characters, let's bring in this hot new young artist. Right. Um, yeah. Didn't have a big track record at that point, and it is a different look. So to take your one of your top books and be like, let's try something new. This proportionality is something that Joe Mad like you just didn't see before Madarera comics very much. Just like very trim waist with this super giant upper body. Like it's, it's the it's the Street Fighter, right? Like exactly. to me that is like uh, what's the guy's name is Street Fighter, the tall guy with the scar. Um, he kind of has that body type, and I feel like Joe Mad just draws from that. Totally, man. He 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 wears his influences on his sleeves, and and those like Neo Geo fighting games, uh, Fatal Fury, all that stuff. Like you see yeah. those bits in here. Speaking yeah, of those, crispy, those those Capcom guys, Bengus and Akiman, like those were probably his biggest influences, like more so than any manga specifically. Yeah, which is why he hasn't um, done comics in a long ass time. Yeah, <laughs> well, like this, so like having been out of comics for two years at this point, like this is actually like a great, at least this opening scene is just like an action movie, and you know, and there's like this cool reversal of this like fat lady turns out to be a badass, and. Um, that was fun. Like that was, a, a, you know, that grabbed me. First five pages grabbed me, and that's that's like, that's what you want to do with a comic. Absolutely. You know, uh, note note the gloves. Like uh, that's something I always think of Matt, Matt as being really good at, and uh, you yeah. get to see it from here early in his. Yeah, uh, wrists. His He's really good at wrists and ankles, <laughs> and he was really good at like kind of legs and feet in a way that most of the image era guys weren't. This is one of those uh, periods of time where I'm I'm really all in as like my my life's career is going to be as a cartoonist like I'm, I'm fully on board so i'm becoming more observant of certain things so it takes you a while to realize that when you draw a character standing straight up and down they're not standing straight up and down and this is one of those images that i really cited as like that s curve of the human figure of like okay i'm starting to figure things out a little bit more like you gotta have some balance uh on your characters and it, it's it's later that you read that you know the the tip of the foot is supposed to sort of match the chin to create like the perfect balance and things right really yeah i wouldn't even 
I wouldn't have clocked that, but like I always loved this drawing specifically of, of Banshee just standing. Like it's so beautifully done. It's so well balanced. And you're right. He's good at drawing those those jowl muscles, which like a lot of people like just don't draw, but if you take a look at like my anatomical guy right there, like that's a very prominent facial muscle. And and he, he sort of has that figured out early, man. Like a lot of people just do not put that in there. I wonder if he just has that type of face or something. Like for me, like right. I have like a perfectly round face, so I just like draw round faces. We'll go into that uh, that first SPX in two thousand four, <laughs> man. I, I knew who Jeffrey Brown was without uh, seeing yeah, a name exactly. tag. Yeah, I knew who James Kachalka was. Um, yeah, so I mean, one of the things that always drew me to X Men, maybe unconsciously, was kind of like the the fashion, the real life aspect of it. And Joe Mad picks that up in a way that maybe like the like. Hubert brothers weren't or like you know the guys who were kind of followed jim lee went more into the superhero nonsense and less into the you know real world talking walking kind of stuff which is always what kind of appealed to me about x-men joe mad the balance of it joe mad might have been 20 years old here so he was hip to like the the current fashions and stuff like all those dudes had that like chad haircut right then he might have been not even he might have not even been 20 he might have been 18 19 at this point i don't even know yeah yeah i think he did that early um that early stuff in marvel comics presents when he's like 16 17 like some kind of intern yeah i don't think he's much older than than we are really bringing back that angel costume that that was cool like getting these like little tidbits of like past x-men lore like being introduced to it like this and then seeing it in like more classic x-men it's like i want to know everything about that stuff that's a weird mashup of like the archangel elements with that old costume hey how appropriate is a street fighter 2 ad for this episode oh, yeah. for joe mad like it all just comes it's, together it's perfect i mean that was the times man and that that was um i was telling someone this the other day like that this ad probably is the reason why i got a job and why i why I got a job was to buy a Super Nintendo, dude. So I, I so I could have this game. And 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 this game, I don't know how it was up there in um, Canada, dude. But this was the first like seventy dollar video game, man. And that yeah. was just fucking brutal. Like they were always like forty <laughs> bucks, fifty bucks. Everybody was so stoked on this thing coming out, and it cost seventy dollars. Yeah. And we paid it, man. Brian, you're starting high school, looking for a job. What what uh what what yeah. job did you find? I, I got a job at the library. Like, day one, I think I turned 14. I was hanging out at the library all the time. And literally, my mom went up to the librarian and was like, will you give him a job? He's here all the time. <laughs> so uh, they gave me a job, and I worked there for uh, all of high school. Were there comics in that library? Not really. Not really. There was, like, uh, maybe strip collections, but that was it. Like, there, it was in the humor section. I don't remember Dewey Decimal anymore, but, like... Yeah, we would have like some Calvin and Hobbes, some like Ziggy or something, and and that was about it. But they had a great sci-fi collection, which I really dug into in those days. Speaking toward your fashions, like this is this is real-world fashion. You would see this like in a, in a gym sequence, man. You got your little uh, plushy jogging pants, showing off that treasure trail. This is like before the the MySpace photos, man. The selfies that you yeah. had to have in your profile. And well, you he's know, got a bit of a bulge too, like which is which is cool yes yeah. yeah you listen you, you would never see it man like all of uh, kirby's superheroes are eunuchs i also want to point out the backgrounds because i i know you guys just did uh new mutants 98 or 99 like and the way rob drew those backgrounds was just like just doodles but for joe matt he's like there's there's concreteness to this to these backgrounds even though it's like a fantasy space underground lair thing it's like 
there's still more concreteness to it, and I appreciate that. Really good to, to point that out because we're going to see great examples, and I do think that he... This looks like an evolution of the Art Adams kind of style, and uh, what those guys would do, Art Adams, is you kind of like figure out your perspectives and then build your characters in there. Like that's the way you know academic drawing is done, and you could yeah. see that he's he's not kayfabe in right. the perspectives of, of his figures. They exist in the same perspective as that background, which. Uh, at this era of artists, you just did not see done very much, man. It was more yeah. about the fight sequence. This is another good example where you you see the perspective lines of that texture on the on the ground, and and Bishop's feet are accurately like in in, in space there. Yeah, and not not everyone does that, and and yeah, like kind of the the Rob era, like people would just start drawing a face and draw a whole figure based on that, and not really think about the whole composition. Or that, at least that's how I interpret it. That's how I did it when I was a kid. Sure. That Art Adams reference, I, I wish uh, you'd have mentioned that earlier. There was a Jean Grey earlier, mm -hmm. and it was like she had Art Adams, you know, girl haircut, long haircut, whatever. For sure. Yeah, I never, I never would have clocked that. I mean, I was only vaguely aware of Art Adams at this time. Now he's one of my favorites. Chris B., once again, man. Plus, now Chris we B. see the reason for this issue, right? We're, we're launching a new yeah. book. Let's sell as many around it as we can. Yeah, it was, it was so clear that this was, like, what was going down. So... A lot of like the comic story part is fully anticlimactic because we see what's going to happen. So we know that none of these characters are in any kind of danger. This yep. dude looks like he's about, I don't know, 46, 47. <laughs> <laughs> they said that Jubilee's 13 and, we, and we'll, oh we'll get to that in a, in a future episode for sure. But uh, I, I think this is Joe Mad. Like, see, that's... Yeah, Joe Mad on the back here. That's beautiful. It is, man. It's it, this is what I always remember of his stuff. This got to be this has got to be Dan Green, the inks. Yeah, it's funny. Dan Green. When I was in middle school and we were big into X Men, like me and my, I had this like best friend at the time named Conrad, and we would draw comics together, and we would always talk shit about like Dan Green and Dan Panosian. We just we didn't like like this like scratchy style or whatever. I don't know what it was, but like as an adult, like when I look at a Dan Green page, I'm just blown away. I think I think uh, my trajectory is the same. Um, something about the organic line, it, it resonated in a weird way with me. Like seeing that it's like a very definite like mark by a hand because of the, it made me the Scott Williams where it's like polish. Polish is what you're yeah. supposed to do. Polish is what I'm chasing. Uh, Green did a lot of brush inking also, and, and it was apparent, and it looked very different than a Scott Williams. Oh, yeah. There's some yeah. mood here, you know, like having this cast shadow on that Banshee as, as he enters the sort of destructed... Yeah. Um, this is a neat drawing. All the pieces, like, broken down, like, they're neat, but it's also, there is perspective, and it's just a lot of shit to try to deal with, you know, like having a chair in the middle of it, parts that you recognize... Not a yeah, fun drawing he, to make. He, he really went off. Like, I mean, the perspective is real. It's a whole page. It's a whole bunch of bullshit. It's like none of this is a real thing that he could reference. So I, I don't have like a good grounding in like it just it looks like Kirby or something to me. But I don't really know like who's good at drawing this kind of stuff back in the day. The you see the the sort of mania of the line. The, this is another thing that would um, translate to the to like the Roger Cruz crib jobs whenever he would do fill-ins of yeah. which joe mad would cut promos in his own comics like have newspapers flying around and says you know cruise cribs again and shit like that <laughs> but there would always be like one page with like a cool asteroid m or a spaceship or something and it would have all these like little 
lines, man. I, I, I think that that might have some vestigial influence from manga when you see those like super ornate yeah. backgrounds before you get the memo that the guy's name that you see on the spine isn't the guy who drew all that ornate stuff. It was yeah. some assistant who got no credit. This makes me want to see like uh, Joe Mad 30 issues later because I feel like there's a lot of young cartoonists and the way, you know, different camera angle for every every piece. And like on their own, I think each of these panels looks good, but it's so much activity for a conversation piece. And I feel like a more mature cartoonist or more confident cartoonist approaches that differently. You know, it feels like he's really trying hard here. Yeah. And uh, and I'd be curious like where, what he looks like in two years. Yeah, this this four panel page is, is not my favorite, but um... The drawing of Beast is great. I love it. Yeah, it's a quintessential shot to me. Like, this this image pops to mind uh, whenever I think of, of this uh, issue specifically. Now, now, this is my shit. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, also the Maximum Carnage. I was looking at this when I flipped through it yesterday, and it's just like, oh, we can make movies that look like this now. But back in the day, like, this picture alone was just enough to get me going. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, Rogue. Like, his, his version of Rogue... And his, his, like, drawing of girls. Like, this is right around the time I was, like, you know, discovering that girls exist. And um, Joe Mad had a, had a lot of influence on how I, you know, see women, I guess. I'm still just, like, I love the big hair. He would draw <laughs> these, like, really narrow hips. Like, I don't know what he, what influenced him. Maybe it was Ghost in the Shell. Um, but, yeah, he just, like, he, he drew women in a way I'd never seen before. You know, Jim Lee's drawing these, like, buxom swimsuit like sports illustrated type girls and and this is like something different this is youthful like in a way that made sense to me as like a 14 year old discovering girls these characters all look taller than than what what i would associate the jim lee x-men run with yeah probably yeah good call he he has some sense of of the form of the figure too like i was staring at just stuff like this man where that lighting on that forearm and things, when you get a close-up of a hand and, and wrist muscles and all that, like that could get dicey for a lot of creators, but he really rises to the occasion, thinks about the planes that are like, you know, yeah. towards the light and against the light. And it's like a very specific angle. It's not just like how I draw a hand, you know? Totally, totally. This is kind no, of like this, that walking the, like an Egyptian pose. <laughs> oh yeah, this, this page turn, like this is probably what hooked me. Like forever like this drawing right here just is insane like the way she's blowing apart into like weird pieces it's just it's so cool you feel it right like you feel the the force of banshee's scream with yeah. all those little bits that are coming off and that head cocked down while that neck is going back it really feels like oh yeah just the head burst. is blowing away there's a you lot don't of even good need stuff this, in there. you don't need this like cg in the background either like it doesn't really add anything they start to lean real heavy into this this CG color. There's that card, uh, the coloring system, person, group, individual liquid. called liquid. Yeah. And uh, there there are whole issues that are going to be built around the tandem of Joe Mad and Liquid. Like when there's that steam ninjas or or whatever these steam demons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's that's part of why I wanted to go back to this though because this shows kind of like the the more pure Joe Mad on the page. Yeah. Yeah, he, like, and once again, just his drawing acumen, drawing characters laying down on the ground in perspective, not easy, but with subtle things that are very easy to fuck up, like the curve of that belt, he, he's he nailed it. He's yeah. got it, and that the is not feet, easy. Yeah. Do we think this is Terry Austin? 
The Banshee makes me think it's Terry Ogg, but who knows? Who knows? Yeah, it's so hard to tell. It's man. really hard to tell. Some of these little dash marks make me think uh, Dan Green. You know, some of yeah, the even the, the, the hair pattern. Hair, the arm hair, yeah, that reminds that hair me of is... uh, Sylvester uh, Wolverine issues. Very Green esque. So yeah. I, I would guess Green, but I even wonder if they're passing pages around. This exact face, I feel, was cribbed by like all that generation of. <laughs> You know, Wizard Every Top artist. Ten artists, uh, <laughs> yeah. Waringo, um, certainly Cruz. Who was the... Uh, this stuff did damage to me. Humberto Ramos. It would always Ramos, be the... Yeah. When you're looking down and get those eyes like right under the eyebrows. And that's not at all what eyeballs look no. like. But <laughs> I would... All, the, all my favorite comics were like mad dudes, you know, scowling at each other. So that's what they looked like. And that's what I learned. And I'm still unlearning that. <laughs> Great energy, man, with this phalanx like coming coming towards the camera, getting that severe tackle from Sabretooth, and then having some silhouette pummeling, man. That's that's pretty that's pretty rad shit. It's it's pretty rare in a young artist to like to pop a panel like that and and not fuck it up somehow. <laughs> so um, you know, like the the claws are going into the other panels, but nothing interferes with anything. Nothing tangents in a weird way. It's if, it's well done. If this claw was not there the whole page would be fucked up because you have yeah. these things going down into these panels here it's the flow of this into this and yeah. i don't know that he planned that a lot of like what we do on the page there is an intuitive component that you can't really point to you could take credit for I, i'm glad brian points this out though because this is something that you would always see like warnings against when you're trying to learn to draw comics Absolutely. and there were a lot of warnings against breaking those panels for exactly what brian said <laughs> like easy yeah to mess i mean it up. i i definitely have points in scott pilgrim where i fucked that up and you know there's just people don't notice readers don't notice but i notice every now and then and and you know what uh, speaking of notice like the uh -huh. lettering on this thing is just so like here's an example oh, yeah. right like where you oh, got yeah. this like dialogue bubble right here and now i'm supposed to go there but my 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 brain just naturally wants to go to like right here mm -hmm. uh when i read this i want to read this and this could even be like a kind of a panel break you know like kind of a panel border uh you never want to have these these kinds of parallel lines like touching both edges because it creates these artificial gutters yeah. So like the like the lettering and I like Chris Iliopoulos, but he had just no real estate or whatever to work yeah. with. Yeah, this is an extraordinary example of bad lettering because it doesn't take that much to to improve this tremendously. Yeah, um, you know this is Gambit speaking. Like that that word balloon could be down here where you're doing something where it's like here maybe move this up and then Gambit where it'd be like a very easy read across. It would clear up this connection. Yep. Well, it's one of those things where you can't you can't fully blame the editor or the uh, the letterer. You have to blame the editor. You have to blame Joe Mad for not knowing how to you know leave space and stuff. So, it's a complex system. Yeah, um, but I was gonna I was also gonna say like this is one of the last hand lettered issues of Marvel Comics because a few months later we're going into Comic Craft. Yeah, and you see little vestiges, little pieces here and there, man. Like uh, some of the title lettering and things. So uh, not bearing the lead. The Phalanx have taken over X-Mansion. All those X-Men that we saw earlier, it ain't really them. It's the Phalanx and the, the, legit hum, the, the legit mutants who are in the house. You have Banshee. You have Emma Frost, who was a prisoner. You have Sabretooth, who was a prisoner. And enter stage left, like not established anywhere in this issue at all. 
<laughs> Jubilee passed out and is just in uh, Sabretooth. She's just a, a figure in a yellow coat. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, this page on the left, 26, is like, this looks like it's 90% Dan Green. Like, Joe Joe just, like, laid down some real loose stuff here. Um you know, that sleeve on Gambit, that, that says Dan Green to me right there. Yeah. This is another, this feels very Dan Green-esque, this panel uh, on 27 too. So I would guess that, that he's he's working these pages maybe as we near the end of the book. Yeah, when you see this hair, if, if, I think of like the JRJR Dan Green kind of collabo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's not uncommon. You know, like this could be young Joe Mad having deadline issues. Who knows? You know, like it feels yeah. like Marvel in 1994 is just chaotic. So it's I'm hard sure. to tell what kind of time everybody had and, and breaking in a new guy. Sometimes that's what you'd have a veteran inker on there for. These Phalanx yeah. X-Men right here, this is a money shot uh, panel to me, man. Another one of those unforgettable pieces. And just these like real wild, adventurous faces that Joe Mad uh, brought into this comic. And for 10 years, comics, comics was changed because oh, of, yeah. of the work that he brought to the game. And you know one of the things that he cited as being uh, an influence that made it possible for him to like figure this stuff out was uh, the laser discs of of anime, where oh, that's right. where he can pause it and have that perfect image on the screen because you could not do that with VHS, man. That little pause bu- button is going to start to create that little flicker. But he was able to yeah. like really study that art. Yeah, the kids don't know like they have so much access to like crystal clear artwork. But back in the day, we had nothing. Like, if you could get an art book, that was, like, as good as gold. And if you could even pause, like, in our day, we, we had started to have DVDs where you could pause perfectly. But in VHS, you couldn't even do that. Not, not even close, man. This drawing also reminds me a little bit of, um, like, a Sienkiewicz warlock drawing. Like, the teeth, the, the sorry, the angel in the corner here, with he, he's all in shadow. I love that. Yeah, absolutely, man. Like... When when uh, when Art Adams sort of took over Warlock, and you would see just the, the the crazy amount of lines, all those guys had to come in and do their version. They just loved all those little tick marks, and and you know what is the phalanx, but the evil, the evil. Yeah, Warlock. the phalanx is an evolution of Warlock, isn't it? Isn't that the character, the story? You know, I, I just don't remember. I don't remember, <laughs> and we're not reading enough to care. Um, this middle panel, this wide one, is so Dan Green. I love it. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And uh, this kayfabe sewer sequence, like I just think about it at a time before, you know, Google image search or whatever, like Joe Mad did TM- something here. That's fun. TMNT here. Yeah, this, this is a great sewer. Yeah, man, the mutants in this in the sewer and, and there are going to be new mutants uh, before they they left, before they hit the self-destruct button to blow everything up again. This poor X-Mansion gets blown up once a year. Uh <laughs> You see Banshee, like, discovers that there are these people, these young kids that we always intended on reaching out to, just didn't have the time. Professor X X ain't around. But now the Phalanx know who they are, what they're about, and they have their addresses. We got to go warn them. Not a bad setup for uh, this uh, future Generation X. I got to make a comment because, again, I had given up on X-Men. I hadn't been reading it. Yeah. It's such a strange team, like who's here is such an odd collection yeah it, it's it's peculiar to me it, it is because like uh you know kayfabe re- wrestling parlance right you have the idea of putting somebody over you're you're creating this entire like program to institute a new team mm-hmm. like we've seen it done where you have to have the old guard lay down in the middle of the ring for that three count 
and let these like new kids shine or at least fail spectacularly enough that you want to continue following them. But this is Barry Horowitz <laughs> and is somebody the belt. Yes. You know, this is this is jobbers. Right. You need the rub from a Wolverine or a Cyclops or somebody. Hulk Hogan um, has to give you that stroke, man, not a uh, saber tooth with a muzzle on his face. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you can feel the whole thing is set up because the Generation X, the comic that comes out of this is um, Banshee and the White Queen are in, in charge of the new class. And so it's just like they're randomly kind of shoehorned together here. Yeah, probably underused characters for a hot minute, man. Let's do something with these guys. It's incredible to think of this through WWE terms because it is like early 90s whenever Hogan leaves WWF and it's like, we're going to take some lumps as right. we try to build a new bunch of stars. But then, you know, White, White Queen goes on clear into the 2000s, right? Is like a big major player in X-Men. But at this stage, pretty new, pretty new to the game. Yeah, yeah, certainly as, a, as like a heroic figure. But like yeah, it's, what her, I, it's her face turn, right? It's the face turn. <laughs> well done. Uh, the image guys are gone. They're still reeling from, from that trauma of, yeah. of uh, you know, such visually exciting artists uh, disappearing, leaving that big void. But Joe Matarera, like very quickly, pulling these off the rack, man, like very quickly, yeah. I was into it. And he just, he could not sustain, like it would, it was awesome when you got a Joe Mad issue, but then, you know, you got to put up with your Roger Cruises, you got to get your Steve Epting uh, here and there, then you get another Joe Mad. The, the worst is they, they would put him on the cover like every month. For and sure. He's not inside it most of the time. Yeah, for sure. It's, a, it's an abuse of, of the audience, and the audience leaves. Like, I think about the setup that was given guys like uh, Lob Bell and these dudes who were like these untested quantities who were, if you read that Sean Howe history of marvel book we're basically there in the office and we're like oh oh i'll do it <laughs> right. oh i'll do right, it right place right time but yeah. i mean that's what isn't that what claremont says about how he got started too he was just staying around the office yeah yeah sure but uh, the difference with this is that uh you could have this like false positive of a very popular cartoon uh that is on on fox a whole bunch of promotional stuff around that cartoon toys uh pizza hut promotions all kinds of stuff that is going to goose the numbers to a very, very shitty product. Uh, but yeah. at least the art, you know, you could find some saving grace uh, in, in the art more often than not. And listen, man, this this was a fun issue to unpack. I haven't looked at it since I was a teenager. And we're sitting here with Brian Leo O'Malley doing it. Not a bad Hell day yeah. at the kayfabe offices. No. This is exactly what I need to read this issue, by the way. <laughs> if, you, if you remove any of these <laughs> elements, too. I'm probably out. I have one yeah. question for you guys. So, you know, you look at this issue as set up uh, kind of a good issue for what it is, right? And that's a Scott Lobdell, you know, able to put together the story, the, what you need from a story at this stage. Yeah, sure. Because I do think those guys that took over when Claremont left were at a terrible disadvantage because they had oh, yeah. a Jim Lee plot. They had, you know, Claremont had obviously had some idea where he wanted to go and it was and it was in the middle of like those years of just claremont subplot after claremont subplot that's a pretty tough job to step into and i left you know what i mean so maybe yeah. these guys are better than i give them credit for jim always the diplomat brian do you have any <laughs> do you have any closing words man uh yeah you know what it's uh it's a pretty solid issue i wonder how much it was kind of marvel style like because Joe Mad clearly has pretty strong storytelling ideas at this point. Maybe those kind of atrophy over the years because he's not that interested in it. But um, 
that's why I wanted to look at this early one because it's just uh, he's kind of firing on a lot of cylinders, and that that kind of did a job pulling me back into comics when I was a little bit out of it. Will say. Favors, like, follow, subscribe to the YouTube channel. Hit the bell. We'll notify you when new vids are available. What is out there, Jimmy? Hulk Grand Design. Tell your local comic shop to pre-order that thing right now. Want to get those numbers through the roof. Show Marvel what the kayfabe effect is all about. So if you plan on buying Hulk Grand Design on 316, let your comic shop know immediately to uh, pre-order a copy for you. And you can join me on patreon.com slash jimrug to see some behind the scenes on how I put Hulk Grand Design together. Red Room, the anti-social network, is out on the stands right now. Get your hands on it. Uh, that is the precursor for Red Room Trigger Warnings, which is going to be coming out March 9th. Uh, March 2022 is the is the month of kayfabe in the comic book uh, stores, Ben. Uh, Trigger Warnings, issue number one, is going to be coming out uh, March 9th. Every issue of that will be self-contained. That complete story is on my Patreon right now at this moment. I put up new strips every Tuesday. You can get to links to all of our stuff in uh, our link trees in the description below this video. What else do we have out there, Jimmy? Subscribe to the Cartoonist Kayfabe e-newsletter at the links below this video. You can also find Cartoonist Kayfabe t-shirts and merchandise at the links below this video. Given those Martian orders, we're going to be on our way. Read more comics.